0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Sound of Scoring podcast, where we look at some of our favorite scores from film, television, and video games, and do a deep dive on our love of music. My name is Zim, and with my co-host Michael, we're attempting to find out how these scores work and how they help to tell a story. Hey everyone, welcome back to our third episode for The Sound of Scoring. I'm Zim and joining me as always is Mikey G, as I like to call him, but professionally known as Michael Garrett. Mike, how are you going?
1: Oh yeah, man, not, not too bad. You, you are the only person that calls me Mikey G, but I appreciate it.
0: I feel like it's going to catch on. Maybe that should be your composer name like in the future. <laughs>
1: yeah composer name like a stage name kind of thing or a
0: pseudonym yeah my point is it should catch on because it's simple it's short it's nice and it's got the you know the big points of your name your Michael and the G for Garrett my i digress today we are continuing our Hans Zimmer retrospective with The Lion King um mm. and then we're going to take a little break from Hans Zimmer next episode we'll be discussing this music of Black Panther um Well, it's been quite a
1: week, hasn't it been,
0: Zim? It it has. Um, What a none of us saw that. Yeah, twenty twenty's really kicked us down. Um, (laughs) If it couldn't take any more away from us, Um, in case for those who don't know, tragically, uh, the lead actor of of Black Panther, uh, Chadwick Boseman, sadly passed away from colon cancer at the age of forty three, and
1: yeah, it's insane.
0: Yeah. And that's why we felt it was our duty, essentially, to at least devote one of our episodes to Black Panther. I think we were always going to do a Marvel retrospective way down the line, but if anything, this has kind of asked us to take a look at it sooner rather than later. And Yeah,
1: and I think Black yeah. Panther, um, it was one that I always wanted to look at because the music is so great, but also because of how much of an impact that film had. As well, absolutely. Um, but speaking of films that had an impact, The Lion King. Zim, how, would it, what, just to take a jarringly left turn, tone wise, <laughs> from, yeah. from the tragic death I, it, of someone into The Lion King. But as you can see, um, we're clearly not professionals at this. No, but. no, not, not even a little bit. Uh, what, the Lion King. What, what, are, what are our thoughts on
0: on that one? So. The Lion King, I think, was a success that I don't think Disney predicted. I don't think the world predicted, considering that in the behind the scenes, it was the B team of Disney animation studios that worked on this film. Yeah. But it's probably one of their most recognizable films ever. Re- probably the most recognizable animated film alongside the old ones like Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. Um it's gone on to spawn so much other merchandise and spin-offs and other well, kinds musical, of media. It's, uh, the musical is like massive. If you're into that kind of thing, whatever. Sam's um, <laughs> not a big musical fan, apparently. <laughs> no, no. Not, having said that, I really do have a soft spot for the Disney Renaissance films. And that's because I grew up with them. I'm not, you know, an animal. I'm not heartless. That's not true. I kind of am uh, not a huge fan of Paddington. I know it's uh <laughs> <laughs>
1: Paddington 2 is the greatest movie of all time. It is.
0: Whatever. Yeah. It is. I I don't you can, like what, says you, says can like what you like. My my digress. Maybe maybe at one point we'll talk about Paddington. Maybe <laughs> if, if the score is worth talking about. It really. is. It's great. Uh, what are you well, talking there we go, Steve. Um, but The Lion King definitely the most important film in the Disney Renaissance era next to The Little Mermaid. Um, definitely the most prolific and important one. And of course, it is the first one where it wasn't Alan Menken. Oh, well not the first one, but it was definitely one of those ones that Alan Menken wasn't involved in, but instead composer Hans Zimmer. And his first Oscar win? His first and only Oscar to date. Oh,
1: I mean, I agree. Um <laughs> Because <laughs> this is this is my favorite Hans Zimmer score, and this is my one of my favorite movies, aside from Paddington oh, yeah. 2.
0: Um, uh, okay, because... calm down. <laughs> Stop trying to plug Paddington 2.
1: <laughs> We're going to do it, Zimmer. I'm going to make you.
0: <laughs> You're all right, fine. Whatever. Ooh. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really, really love this
1: score. And I mean, because this is a score podcast we're we're not going to really be focusing on the songs because it's probably being talked about to death anyway
0: we'll we will be focusing on the stuff that we at least know for a certainty that Hans Zimmer was involved into some aspect so the songs that are sung by Elton John or even the more musically inclined numbers I have I'm suspicious of whether he was involved in any of them except for the Circle of Life, because on tour when he goes on tour, that song he plays that song. So, well, I personally um, think that he'd be involved with that a little bit more. But you think he, that he, a was, story he was he was he was
1: a producer on all of the songs, so right. he he helped he helped uh, make the songs. But obviously, Elton John and Tim Rice uh, were the songwriters, mm-hmm. um, and. Then Hans Zimmer came in and and went into the studio for the songs. And I think something that's only a lot of people have only really found out probably because of the 2019 one, because he was actually credited in it. But in the original, uh, a really big contributor to a lot of the score was Lebo M, um, a South African singer songwriter uh,
0: who is really the he's the. He's essentially the first thing you hear in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Really. He, he's he's that, he? that call at the start. He's um, the voice the, and the circle of life. The, I ben, yeah. I, I'm not doing it justice, <laughs> but... if I, I'm, I'm only doing this for the people who... For, like, the one person who hadn't seen or heard The Lion King. Doing it yeah. for you.
1: Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, Lebo M. I, I, you know, honestly, might you might even go as far as saying he's the soul of the movie, and definitely those those kind of um African choir um moments and and parts of the songs and the uh, and the score as well. Um, it really kind of brings it to life because. So before we before I dive, dive into that, let, let's just quickly go over what we're going to talk about. So I we'll we'll first talk about obviously um kind of more of the context of the film first, but then I want to have a talk about the the main themes um and kind of just a brief compositional analysis of that. Um Always and then important. different from the first two um like ep- the first two episodes of this podcast uh, I actually want to go through uh chronologically um the hq and how they evolve throughout the, the film because i feel like hans zimmer in this score displays probably the most out of any film of his that i've seen his ability to actually move through thematic content very seamlessly i'd, I'd, agree.
0: I'd say that he is, this is the most traditional film score as in in the tradition of old hollywood age composers it's the most traditional that he's at work that he's ever done oh absolutely by
1: far. I was I, I was actually even but like I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, "Is this the only like full orchestra he's worked with?" But I mean, it's definitely not. Um, I mean, even Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, which um, I was going to had... say,
0: Pirates is probably his closest to that. Pirates yeah. still has some of his more later work, but it also has thematic elements that are woven pretty well. But for some reason, and... his other works. He... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Sorry I on. was going to
1: say, um, and he may not have written. A lot of press uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> anyway. that's true.
0: Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, at least not for the first film.
1: No, um, but, but but I'll show you a bit yeah. in the stampede queue. Actually, that reminds me of that. But that might be a conspiracy corner moment. There, well, I don't know.
0: In case you uh missed it, we <laughs> have our Michael has his own little segment called the Conspiracy Corner. It started with um, our Rain Man episode. And it's going to continue on. I'd hope it'd be a mainstay. Oh, well, no, actually, it was un- an unofficial start in our Spider-Man episode, but oh, we yeah, renamed yeah. it in the second episode as Michael's Conspiracy Corner. If you have any more catchy names for it that you know could be useful, please send us an email, <laughs> comment on our Facebook page. Just let us know, you know. I mean, the Conspiracy Corner is fun, but if you want something a little bit more personal, just hit us up and let us know. <laughs> Yeah, if anyone, a- or there. if you want me to stop, that's totally fine too. I, I, I don't know what's good. <laughs> I guess we we'll give the fans what they want. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So and um, before we continue, will there be a slight deviation or discussion about twenty nineteen's Lion King? Because I know that's a it's a bit of a painful topic for you. <laughs> well, you watched it last night, Sam, didn't you? i like got about halfway through before i realized oh i have work tomorrow i need to go to bed but <laughs> from what i saw i was uh from it's just not from a. it's not like great if if you love the original it's not great yeah and even from a music perspective as well it's like ah ha-ha. let's let's save it for another section but yeah yeah, it's just, yeah,
1: I've got a lot of thoughts on it. I don't want to go on about it too much, but we'll we'll, we'll have a talk about it later on. So let's dive into this. So The Lion King came out in 1994, uh, directed by Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff, uh, obviously mm-hmm. composed slash arranged by Hans Zimmer, uh, with Lebo M doing the choral compositions uh, and arrangements with that. Uh as we said before, Elton John and Tim Rice did the songs. So, when it came out, it was it the first original story told by Disney that was not think, based yeah, on pre-existing material?
0: I read that somewhere. And yeah. if it tracks... I think it's the first original animated film from Disney in terms of an original story. Yeah. No, it wasn't I, based off like an
1: old uh, fairy tale or something like yeah. that.
0: Now. We say original, but it is heavily inspired by a lot of other, as most stories are these days, they're heavily inspired by a lot of other stories before that. Um, A key inspiration is Hamlet. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 So one could argue it is an adaptation of Hamlet, but it also involves some other things in there. Um, The story, I think there's a biblical inspiration about two brothers, Joshua and something. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I've
1: heard as well that um, the Moses story is a big inspiration I,
0: for that as well. So, um, you, I mean, that's all great stories. I mean, inevitably, as is probably my con- continuing thing throughout these podcast episodes, I'm going to tie something to Star Wars in one way or another. And <laughs> like how Star Wars is a big hodgepodge of many different stories, so too is The Lion King. But they're considered original. But yes, back to the point at hand. It's yeah, definitely so, Disney's first original. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. So, yeah, first original story
1: told by by Disney. Um, it was in the production in production at the same time as Pocahontas. So <laughs> that was why uh, the You said before the Lion King was regarded as a B team, um, the B film, because Pocahontas was the one that everyone wanted to work on, so they couldn't get. Any animators to get like to want to work on the film like any of the like more experienced animators anyway they had to rely on younger less experienced animators to just like give them a chance so that someone would wow. work on this. Um, Zimmer probably got the gig based on uh, his scores that were African influenced, um, yeah.
0: like A World Apart and The Power of One, uh, was which the, with- A World Apart we looked at as a film that was uh, basically really influential on Rain Man, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: for sure. And I wouldn't be surprised if Rain Man got him in the conversation for that as well, um, mm. with his Oscar nomination for that.
0: And it's a, it's a very different kind of direction to go with for Disney because if you track the history of the uh, Renaissance films, at least I'm pretty sure all of them until this point had been getting... Have been given an Oscar nomination or one Oscar for song or music. And pretty much all of them have been done by Alan Mankin. Yeah. Um, or Howard Ashman and all mm. those kinds of people. And then they were just giving <laughs> this film. This is just shows how much confidence they had, or rather, lack of confidence they had in Lion King, which was again the B team production, right? So Yeah, and I I imagine he that he
1: he was offered the gig because it was the B team. They probably didn't have a lot of money, um, yeah. so Zimmer and probably you know I think at the time Zimmer was really famous for his synthesizer work and making things yeah. sound good without live instruments. So like, yep. um, I, I I think he might have used a. I'm I'm sure that he used a real orchestra. I couldn't actually, looking up, I couldn't find what orchestra he used for this score. But every single bit of percussion in this score is completely synthesized. Um, Wow. There's no real percussion. Um, There's a real pan flute. Uh, If anybody listened to the Rain Man episode, there was a fake pan, pan flute, but this one has a real pan flute and the player has a name that I can't, remember right now. Um well he's moving up in the world. He he's moving up slightly old pan flutist. Yeah. Yeah. So or pan pipes, <laughs> I think they actually call them. I am not sure. Uh, I think they're the same thing, but that I could be wrong. Um essentially Zimmer didn't want this gig at first because I'm guessing he, you know he, he does said cartoon he, Yeah, he yeah. said at the time he wasn't really like into animation and um wanted to be a serious composer, I guess, and stuff like that. Um, but was convinced through his six year old at the time um he wanted to do something that his his kid could watch and be you know and and see his dad's work kind of and I, I think that's a, a pretty good reason. Yeah.
0: I don't I doubt the six year old could have seen
1: Rain Man or you know. <laughs> <laughs> or or would want to see Rain Man. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, so anything else you want to say about
0: the all that that being said of course the lion king is its own basic phenomenon like you said spawned a musical that's become become insanely popular the themes is probably one of the most memorable musical leitmotifs in film history that's a bit contentious but definitely within the disney renaissance for sure Mm. of the most memorable film themes um You know, it's a popular Disney tried to do a live action. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) But they'll do that with
1: anything. They, You know, that's not really They'll do that with anything. (laughs) Yeah. It's just the way to make more money, I guess.
0: Um, But Um, but, I
1: will talk about that soon.
0: (laughs) But as with all, I guess, really great film scores, when it becomes very personal to the composer, they put in the 110%. And I think this is really self-evident in this score. Because as Hans was working through the film, and spoiler alert for those two of you who haven't seen The Lion King, um, Simba, the main character, his father dies. Spoiler yeah. alert. Um, <laughs> so it was about probably into that point when he was scoring the film that he and Hans realized that it was about you know the death of a father and he himself having lost his father at a young age really connected and identified with the film and um, he kind of almost envisioned the rest of the score as almost a requiem for his dad would you is that accurate yeah so i guess to
1: to i guess let everybody know what a requiem is um it, it generally is uh, like it's referencing the the um, non-musical re- requiem mass um, that they, I guess, used to call funerals back in the day, mm-hmm. like, uh, or, the, you know, um, the passing of someone and, and going to church to, to mourn them. I don't know how else to explain it. But um, essentially then composers started writing requiems as like, you know, a, as a way um of dealing with death almost and you can hear it in a lot of requiem requiems that you listen to it's it's all very kind of dour but with moments of levity and light and hope but mainly you know main, mainly like sadness and and despair and it's quite odd for this film when you when you really look at it like there's you know um circle of life just can't wait to be king and then there's these, like, really depressingly sad music <laughs> in it, um, which is,
0: I don't know, it's strange to me, but it, it works so well and it's so good. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And I think um, this is why Zimmer won the Academy Award, is because his music fits really perfectly with the images that are on the screen. Mm. And as you can see when we're going to dissect these cues and themes and do it from not only just from a chronological order but also just from a very musical theory analytical kind of point of view is that he kind of really locked in into the emotional center of the film really quickly and he was able to create such really beautiful music that when it's displayed on the film is really well done Um, unfortunately as with most things that sometimes happen to the disney canon some of the music does get buried uh, with a lot of other stuff yeah, and there are themes that he created that i only just realized after speaking to you about the research that existed and i probably heard it but i didn't take notice of it no so. yeah
1: i mean so yeah scar has a a theme that we'll we'll look at in a second but um also timon and pumba have a theme as well it's kind of whimsical and um, everything mainly comes up when they do the bowling for buzzards, like when they first find Simba. Um, it's just crazy kind of piece of music, but we we won't really focus on that today. But yeah, like there's a lot of music that, and, and some of the cues we'll look at today where, where you're just not really paying attention because Disney likes to, especially that era of Disney likes to mix the music so low during those moments and then so you know, so loud when they are allowed to. It's just such a dynamic way of playing with the mix. Um, but it, it still works. Those bits that are underneath the scene still still matter and they still set the tone. It's just that you're not really consciously paying attention to what's happening.
0: Yeah, there's never. there are very few moments where the music is just a lot of takeover. I mean, they're in there, but they're... Yeah. You know, there's a the very few of them. But so... We sorry, go on.
1: No, no, sorry. Uh, so, let's let's uh, start with Simba's theme. Um yes, let's dive in. So, I've got, you know, we're kind of just... I'm just kind of calling them, you know, Simba's theme, Mufasa's theme, you know, whatever. There's some that I don't even have a name for because sometimes the themes do get shared around. There's themes like... Mufasa, that is very plainly Mufasa's theme, um, but the Simba's theme, you could you could almost say it's like um, a growing there's, up there's theme. There's not a really or... strict
0: um, association, like there's one theme that's only for one person yeah. and it must only play for this one person, because um, sometimes, I think it's from a more musical leitmotif approach, you have to be strict to that, but... When you're working with a dir- with a director who doesn't necessarily know or even care, and just matters about how the music fits against it, all yeah. that kind of goes out the window. So I imagine that's what happened as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so we'll listen to Simba's theme first. Now, this theme first comes up straight after Circle of Life, um, with the rain over the landscape, and then um, goes to a more fragile version um, as Rafiki is painting uh, Simba on the tree. Just have a listen to that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the
0: man loves a panpipe, doesn't he? he? He definitely does. Uh, I haven't seen him bring it back in the new millennium, but uh, I'm no. waiting for that to come back. I wonder
1: if... Well, I mean, he used it in 2019 uh, Lion King, I guess. Um, uh, that is
0: okay. <laughs> I wish he used it again in a new score that he didn't make in the 90s or 80s. I mean, I like panpipe, but I think it has its place. I
1: think he—I am going to say—I think he overused it in this in this two-decade period, and then realized that he was overusing it, <laughs> and was like, "Okay, I'm never using it again." <laughs>
0: that that may be true. Having said that, I think it works better here than it does in Rain Man. <gasps>
1: oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. So what we've got here is a a theme that largely. There's, like, a couple of different parts and a little answer section and a higher section, but largely focuses on four notes. It's a fairly simple melody, really. Uh, So it goes, like... So yeah like very very simple but the, the chords underneath start simple um and then and then kind of expand outwards um in a way that i would say like in the beginning it's not very requiem requiem-y. Mm. it's like not very uh uh classical in, classically inspired um but then once the once the chords kind of change and expand and the the melody pushes upward into those higher registers then it starts to become a bit more like um classical in my opinion, but yeah, what do you think about that that simplicity of that met melody
0: well the you have a structure here that works well because that's that's part a of Simba's theme, and then part b is it has the same opening the and then it goes even higher right so. Mm. Um, that's just a quick but smart use of using a very re- kind of almost repetitive cycle, but then resolving it in two different ways to kind of give a journey of sorts on a musical perspective, which also then probably fits the character. Because if we take this as straightforward as it is, Simba's theme, and it's introduced, you know, when he's being born and when Rafiki paints the 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 tree with Simba's kind of logo, if you will, it almost kind of paints him as this kind of Um, this figure that is destined for greatness you know Um, and the music really helped with that but it also has that fragility underlying it which why when it jumps into those high notes it kind of echoes that sentiment so I think I can't really uh, there's no other theme that you would associate with Simba no other theme that you would associate uh, well I don't see another theme that would have worked as well as that did really yeah for sure I
1: I I really like this theme for its simplicity and I think Hans is employing a technique here where, you know, and it happens in pop songs and stuff like that as well um, and he uses it to great effect later on. Um, in fact, Requiem's uses it a lot as well but, um, you know, playing a melody and repeating it but with a different chord underneath that recontextualizes the melody and gives you a different perspective on those notes. So, like, you know, it, although it does move between those um, four notes, the chords underneath themselves um, kind of change and expand um, and give you a different feeling underneath it, which I think I find really fascinating. Um, and yeah, there's there's these little leaps every now and then that kind of give you a feeling of um, hope a little bit, um, which he takes away later with... Mufasa's death scene. <laughs> and Spoilers? Um, <laughs> <laughs> spoilers for a 20-year-old, 30-year-old movie. Almost 30 Or one-year-old
0: year if you were just born and decided to watch the live-action one as your first one. If so, you heathen.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, spoilers for everything we ever talk about, ever. Um, yep. So yeah i i I really like that theme and yeah as you said it's got that fragility about it um and he he kind of goes on to expand that a lot um now a theme that is played kind of part and parcel but with that um very regularly is mufasa's theme um so we'll have a look at that now yep have a play of that So I, sh- I should have said as well that that one is uh, that cue is as they're heading up Pride Rock to have a look that was what that first kind of big chord was oh, yeah. um, which I really love as well that kind of reveal um, yeah man I really love this thing I I've, I've obviously have been watching I watched this film like last week and been listening to the score but I can't get it out of my head now um, no I concur this is my favorite theme of the of the score of the I think and i think yeah. it's probably his most used like he uses it throughout almost yes, the entire film um and i guess it's that thing of like if it ain't broke don't fix it like you
0: know <laughs> just
1: just use it
0: um but he uses it really effectively he does that is however the it appears as it is this you know um i think sometimes hans while he has very good use of thematic um placement Uh, Sometimes in terms of thematic development, um, which again you don't have to do it, and I think with Mufasa you don't necessarily need to because that theme is so well developed. You don't need to like break it down and like put it like, oh, we'll give you a fraction of this and then develop it later. Yeah, Yeah, he's probably doing a John
1: Williams thing. He's not doing like a he's a little he's two notes and now he's three notes kind of thing. Like,
0: yeah, well, which I guess I'd probably argue that maybe it would have been more warranted for Simba because of the journey goes on. Having said that, uh, I will agree that the it's a nice contrast because Simba's theme is really high, right? Kind of like the the voice of a kid, right? It hasn't yeah. broken yet. It's keeping in the high register and stuff like that. You've got Mufasa's themes. It's in the lower registers, almost giving the feeling of like it's burdened and weighed down by responsibility and so that you are in the lower registers of the string orchestra, right? The cellos and your bass or even your violas, but the more lower register and it's kind of just, Given this lush kind of color, about you know, again the feeling of responsibility, it feels like you evoke that, especially the downward movement, right when it goes, dun dun dun, dun you know. So, I thought it's yeah. a nice counterpoint in terms of sound and in terms of movement.
1: Yeah, for sure, and and you get that a lot of that grandeur that you don't get with Cinder's yeah. theme until basically the end of the film, um, but no, you're right, like Hans Zimmer in this film at least i don't argue that he's not a good thematic composer with the rest of his films and i you know especially with this film he's written a lot of great themes in this film and he's a great th- he's a great like melody writer but yeah, yeah you're he right really he kind of melodies. just he kind of just plots them he knows where to put them but he doesn't really change them at all and i think in this in this movie he gets away with it because it's a Disney movie. So you almost expect it to be a little bit more like simplistic. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I will show you a couple of cues, cues later on where he does develop Mufasa's um, mm. theme in a, in small ways, but I think they're actually really, um, really well done. Sorry, I'm just going to turn on the light.
0: Yeah, because you were just getting enshrouded in darkness, Then I was like, <laughs> it's getting darker and darker.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, let's have a look at that melody so and and no. I only learnt how to play the second part of that, um, you know, the first part that doo-doo, goes <laughs> um so <laughs> I learned the second part, which is the, probably the more familiar part, which is um yep. um and then it, and then it goes again and resolves um in a natural natural minor scale natural minor scale until the end of the of the cue so like a natural minor scale you know it's it's kind of
0: a natural it, minor it, scale is if my music knowledge does me correctly it's a major scale but you flatten the third the sixth and the seventh note and that's if you were to play a, if if you were to convert a C major scale to a C minor scale, you just flatten the E. Flatten all right, all right. We know you know. We know you know. you music. My my point <laughs> is right. So a natural minor. So what what key minor is it in? Is so
1: it it, I, I'm playing in an E minor, and that's where where he plays it right. a lot. But I, I would say you know E E minor E natural minor is kind of the the stock standard of minor scales. You know, it's it's yeah. the it's the one that gets oh, played the most. is it
0: e or e flat? It's, the, it's i'm I'm natural. playing
1: e it, I'm playing an e natural, but um, yeah, okay, cool. I think he he plays it in a few different keys, but it actually does mm-hmm. change. He adds a little flavor to it eventually, which is um in the in the later stages of the melody when it goes the second time. Hmm? oh, it goes. that little oh, da-da. Da-da. it's just like a little bit of like a ooh. a little bit of tension there it's a little bit of like a ooh <laughs> moment this, this um, doesn't
0: exist within this this scale fascinating yeah. Ooh. yeah
1: yeah but it's like little things like that that create interest and create a little bit of tension like it's not going to go maybe the way you think it will um and it's just a little bit of surprise in there, but I, I this this theme where Simp's theme has a lot of little leaps and and obviously this does as well. But a lot of this is very step based, so a lot of the notes are directly next to each other, um, and they kind of follow each other and, and resolve kind of nicely. So it's a very measured sound. It's like a very it's like a very um, yes assured sound um that you as get from doing the that. more as a most to
0: the most springy leap like ver- um articulation of Simba's theme which again perfectly parallels the actual characters so that's yeah, just, like
1: to to borrow from the movie Simba's theme is pouncing around <laughs> yep, yep and um you know Mufasa's just uh, lightly treading well not lightly but just you know stepping one foot after the other kind of thing um, very solemnly to getting too old for this shit <laughs> yeah exactly um, but it's interesting to me because so one of the biggest I want to show a couple of things from some of his influences before but one of the one of the, his biggest influences um, was Brahms's Requiem. Who Brahms is a yep. German composer, um, like Hans Zimmer. Um, so Ooh. and and I think that Requiem is in. Wait, am I thinking of the right one? There's <laughs> uh, a lot of Requiems, man. I think. Okay, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna keep going, but I think. Brahms' Requiem is in D minor. I could be wrong and I'm probably wrong. I'm either thinking of that or Mozart's, Mozart's Requiem is in D minor. But Hans is very famous for liking D minor. He writes everything in yep. D minor. Yes. So, I have, if, if this was the case, I have a feeling he wrote it in D minor and then was told that D minor is a bit too dour, which it is. Like, if I transfer it down to there, like... um. Oh, hang on, sorry, I didn't play the right notes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> God, <laughs> we'll fix it at post. <laughs> yeah. So if I play in D minor, I don't know, like. It, it just sounds a lot more darker and a bit, a bit more
0: Which brooding i personally would advocate but we can't have too much dark things in a kids movie i guess
1: <laughs> uh or you know you could just do batman <laughs> i can't remember the notes <laughs> just the notes two notes d in d F. minor it's d it's d yeah but yeah 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 it's just d it's literally just d minor in a half arpe- arpeggio
2: Eight. I should just not play works, piano ever
1: <laughs> I i'm not I'm not good at piano it's not great um uh, so good I don't know how I'm gonna edit around any of that maybe I won't maybe I'll just leave fun, it all dude. in i'll just leave it all in um
0: oh, so terrible this is Mi- Michael's currently unraveling right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is yeah. My brain's going to mush at the moment. It's not, it's this is not what good. happens when he thinks about Hans Zimmer too much. He's
1: just like, I can't <laughs> do it. I have can't have a, do it. We have to have a break next week because otherwise my brain's going to explode. Yeah, no, I hear that. Um, so let's look at another thing. So yes, um, now the we've got two other themes. Uh, actually. We got a fair few themes, so we're just going to, from now on, work kind of um, chronologically throughout the yeah, film. But
0: we're not going to give such a deep dive because, again, the two th- the themes that we've kind of discussed are inherently the main and the big kind of themes that most people do remember. Oh, for we're sure. Gonna, and if yeah. if we like, if we analyzed every single theme in this, we'd be here literally all day. Um, yes, and as much as you guys, I assume, love our voices um a whole day's worth of them would drive you crazy
1: right so next we're going to um yeah we're going to keep on going uh, chronologically um yes. so we're going to have a look at it's part of the same queue actually um as the, it's on the we are all connected queue with the last two that we watched we listened yep. to and it's something that Lebo M actually I don't know if Lebo M wrote it but it it, it is an african um, as far as I know from the, like the liner notes on the album, um, it's a um, African f- like folk song. I, I don't want to be insensitive about it. I just don't know <laughs> exactly what it is, but I'm not sure whether he wrote it or not, but he definitely arranged it um, and everything, but you'll you'll instantly recognize it. So here we go. All right. So, as you might have guessed, that is a different version of the thing I'm actually talking about. Um, I'm actually going to go back um, so that we can hear what it actually sounds like. Because that one, I mean, I kind of like it. It's buried underneath the mix. Um, but also, yeah. it seems like a very like clean and like classical white yeah, version that, of an African song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought. I was like, this is, for lack of a better word... Really white. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. So I mean, you wanted some Hans Zimmer development of themes. So <laughs> we got that's some. true. That's true. Um. So here's the right, actual the, the the actual version.
2: All right.
1: So yeah, I, I really, really like that, and, and that's what kind of what I'm getting at when I think that Lebo M is is providing the heart and soul. Maybe not the heart. I mean, Hansen is you know doing a lot of heart work there, but um, yeah, you. you know the soul of it and actually giving it some authenticity um, as an African like influenced movie, um, and yeah the, the choir that he uses and, and the way he arranges them like they're so energetic and they so you know every time i watch that part of the movie and he's running across the desert and running home mm. um you know I, I kind of get pumped myself like it's yeah. it's really it's almost celebratory and and um yeah it's 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 really really good what are your thoughts on it
0: it's that it's that call to action kind of music, you know. Yeah. Especially given the setting and stuff and given the where it takes place within the story, is that essentially for a and I'm just paraphrasing here and I'm also putting on spin of it because I don't want to ruin the experience for you. But essentially Simba's an exile. I say exile, he ran away. Um then Nala, who was a childhood friend, kind of comes finds him somewhere and then he's like yo get your ass back and help man yeah. and then he's like he's like i don't want to do that and then his ghost dad shows up he's like yo the fuck go <laughs> and then oh, he's man. like oh, okay i guess since you told me to ghost dad i'll go again i'm paraphrasing the actual moment is really powerful in the film but come on ghost and dad this... what are you doing <laughs> ghost dad, no and then you do have this nice really like wide shot of simba running and then it's kind of overlaid across a a close-up of his paws kind of hitting the desert. And it's yeah. kind of really, it's one of those moments in a movie where you take all the sound effects and everything and it's just the the frame and the image and the music. And sometimes those are the best and most effective moments of just kind of right, here's the emotion, bam, hits you right in the face. And I thought it was really well done. Yeah, for sure. And another good case of, of
1: Hans Zimmer being able to collaborate uh, really effectively and, and knowing when you know knowing when to say okay my music's not needed here i need something else like i need like someone else should come in and do this and i think they managed to expand upon that in the 2019 version um you know some of the good things they did um was like actually um having a diverse orchestra and more um kind of voices um diverse voices telling the story as well um so, you know, Hans Zimmer knows how to collaborate and this is another prime example of, of um, other people having a massive influence. I, I still can't believe it, that he didn't. He may have been in those little fine print credits further on, but he's definitely not in the first, like, 30 seconds where the rest of the songwriters and stuff are, which is just appalling, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's, let's just move on. We'll come back to that theme, maybe. Maybe not. I'm not. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, Hansumi uses that. Yeah, Hansame uses that theme to kind of, I think, um, represent Simba's kind of naivety and like playfulness. Like, so that, you know, that first one comes up when he's playing with Nala, and. Um, it kind of comes up again when he meets Nala um, as adults for the first time, and then we get that kind of big, bold version when he's running back to Pride Rock. So you kind of get a development of that theme in that it gets stronger and stronger as he does, kind of thing.
2: Mm.
0: Yep. So um, let's. Sorry, you go. go. Sorry, it's always weird when we're talking with no with lag and stuff. But oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just gonna say that I concur. Um, (laughs) as Uh, you were
1: so let's move on to Scar's theme which is something that many people may not have heard in the actual film I actually had to go to the film and turn up the volume to see if it was actually there I was Um, only told this yesterday (laughs) blew my freaking mind and keep an eye I think this is the beginning so keep an eye for a sound that I'm pretty sure sounds like the beginning of the leaving Warbrook cue in Rain Man like it's the same Uh sample Thank you. when Scar's playing with his, his little mouse food um, and then that little moment of kind of, um, uh, what do you call it, um, of monarchy kind of comes in when, when Zazu announces the king um, oh, yeah. just right at the end there and then he loses his mouse and it scurries away like the music does. Um, so it's almost Hans Zimmer trying his hand at that kind of classic animation style music that, that, that
0: uh, mickey mousing as it's called ironic um but it's that where the music um what is it emulates and tries to articulate the motion of animation i believe the term is called mickey mousing our roommate hamish used to talk about that talk about that quite a bit as well so that's how we know about it
1: yeah and <laughs> and yeah and and Mickey Mouse in, can be used in in a lot of different ways in in normal uh fil- like non-animated films as well. Uh, it's just that it's not quite used as much anymore because it comes across as a bit cheesy and a bit hammy a little bit. But if you use it well, you can definitely um oh yeah, for it can sure. definitely be very effective. Uh anything else to say about Scar's theme? I, I kind of think it's a bit it's a bit sleazy and a bit um it, it definitely, def- I definitely think of like Jeremy Irons' scar when I think <laughs> of when I hear that because um, it's all these like little chromatic movements and almost slinky like his animation style. Like, I think he's really hit the nail on the head, even though you can barely hear it, it in the film.
0: It, yeah, I mean, look, it's very jazz focused. Having said that, in the actual final film, you barely are not hear at all the saxophone or the jazz elements yeah, exactly. at all. Yeah. Um, I will say that compared to the other themes, a lot is going on musically. Oh, for sure. Within yeah. this theme. And I can probably g- hazard a guess that just from a musical continuity perspective, you have a lot of really simple melodic themes that are just really nice statements and they really sound well. And you've got this theme, which is kind of a lot is happening very uh, all the time. And it's kind of like, ah, okay. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, have, I can see it. <laughs> I can almost that, see why they,
1: right. yeah, why they like um, decided to turn that down. Especially in a in a in a scene with dialogue, you wouldn't look at that piece of music and go, "Well, dialogue is going to go over the top of that." Like it's not really underscoring very much. Oh, yeah. Um. So to move on, because we have a fair bit of music still to listen to. Um, woo! Now he has a kind of theme, I guess, for chase scenes. We're only really going to listen to one of them. Um, but this is from um, the. So, you know, um, Scar sends Simba to the elephant graveyard uh, and they get cornered by the uh, hyenas. Because um, Scar wants Simba. For the hyenas, dead. he's. <laughs> I don't know. Does he want him dead? Does he? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, yeah, for the hyenas, and I guess for Scar as well, um, it, like it's kind of, they, they're kind of moulded together, but it's this weird kind of Danny Elfman-esque kind of score, I would say. Um, and then it, mo- it morphs into um, the chase. I think if I've got my cues correctly, it morphs into the chase kind of thing that he uses in the Stampede as well. Um, he uses... Even when Nala chases Pumbaa Like he just kind of goes back to that As his action style music mm. um, Which I think is, is great um, So let's have a listen to that now Yeah Is that super Danny Elfman right there?
0: That is. That sounds. Well, I'm a sucker for waltzes. I feel like if I was to be a bit, um, uh, no, I don't even know what the word is. But if I was just to say about my own musical abilities, I love composing a waltz simply because just the rhythm is kind of really baked into the time signature, and hmm. I do feel that Danny Elfman does a lot of that bouncy kind of waltz like things, especially on his work with Tim Burden. Yeah. because it almost has kind of that gothic as kind of like the vibe that is Tim Burden. Yeah, um, for sure. And it's it's interesting to see kind of Hans Zimmer almost basically imitate that really well, for lack of a better word. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it, it kind of
1: really matches that, it's a bit you know, that scene in the elephant graveyard with all the hyenas circling, it's 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 a bit manic. Like and I think the music really helps with that. Um, it's and... a lot like a
0: like a fun house, like a fun house mirror kind of thing, like it's all warped and twisted. And the music kind of almost reflects that kinda of of bouncy feeling before going to sheer anarchy as they're actually being chased and stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um so after the elephant graveyard, of course, um Mufasa takes Simba aside and, and gives him a stern talking to. Um, and he's like, you're not my ghost dad yet, um, is what Simba says. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's funny Can or not. Can you imagine, though? <laughs> like,
0: Simba, don't do that. It's like, you're not my ghost dad yet. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> you can't tell me what to do, not ghost dad. <laughs> uh,
1: so this is probably one of my, you know, obviously Mufasa is probably one of my favorite character themes but this theme doesn't really have a character but i think this is quite possibly one of my favorite other themes in this kind of in this film because it really reminds me of like requiems that i love um and classical music um and maybe after i show you this i'll show you the reference that i think he might have used for this So yeah, that that eventually gets expanded upon, um, and kind of expanded into this more kind of um, very Shakespearean um, theme. I think it's probably probably I reckon it's one of the most Shakespearean themes in in the in the film. And what I mean by that is I just can picture Hamlet going underneath it, you know. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, it's got that operatic grandeur that is. Quintessential of Shakespeare, or in, or in Shakespeare tragedies,
1: yeah, it's yeah, it's very tragic. And
0: um, you're gonna now try and uh, play the requiem of classical music that you believe is a reference for this. Yep.
1: Yeah, I don't think I don't think he. This one's not a conspiracy. This is not Michael's conspiracy corner. Um, <laughs> I, I I just wanted to, along the not way, yet. kind of point out requiems that I think he he listened to while doing this. Um, I wanna play a little bit of Brahms uh Brahms Requiem. Um, which right. has a slightly different feel than this, but I there's some some chords that are just very similar. Um and and in the album that I have of this, he does actually talk about Brahms um a lot in that this was a big influence for him. Um so whether or not you agree, that's up to you. So it, it it could it could either be and there's a bit I kind of chopped off at the start that I might go back and edit. <laughs> um, it could either be um, I, I just see that the first little bit that plays. Um, yeah,
0: that first little bit I was like, "All right, you've definitely just ripped it off." <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: and but it kind of almost feels like Mefas's theme a little bit as well. It um, does, yes. Um, but, yeah, he was listening to that a lot. Um, and I think it's just a, a product of who we are as people. You, as soon as you internalize something and listen oh, to yeah, something sure. a lot, your, your creativity starts to uh, refer to that as well, I think. Um, now, in the same queue, we then move on to um, a version of Mufasa's theme, which I really quite like, Um As we start to see it expand a little bit more, and okay, so what? What
0: it's doing the same scene where he's well, he's saying, "You're not my ghost dad." (laughs) Yeah, but this is when they start to play
1: around, and I think it's one of my favourite versions of the Mufasa theme because we get like we get percussion come in and. For the first time, it doesn't. It, it feels tragic because almost we know what's going to happen. Bef- even if we don't know that Mufasa dies,
0: like we know that. Well, even in that point, the film basically signposts it because I, because I also just watched the, the live action remake and the dialogue is like, yeah. Dad, you're never gonna leave me." Right, I'm just basically just you're basically literally saying he is going to die. Yeah, <laughs> he is I going mean, to fucking die. <laughs> yeah, that that was
1: that was in the original movie as well. Um, but yeah. yeah, so they have this nice little I think it's a really beautiful moment Where they play around and stuff Before he says, Dad, are you going to die? <laughs> um, but I really love this version Even the pan flute gets a little go at the end there on the
0: theme. Yeah, I was when the pan flute came, and I was like, "Ah, he's brought it back." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> son I, of I a love, gun!
1: I love that explosion of just it, it and it's it, it's amazing to me that that theme, which is tr- so tragic to me intrinsically, in that moment it is tragic, but it's it's happy. It's like it's
0: energetic. Know, it's full of life. It's it's um, it's full of like
1: love and passion and um and that's just by the way he plays it by putting that kind of rhythm
0: in and that um impact you know. I think it's interesting to also note that uh, I assume this is the first po- time the theme has actually been played in the high register um, because up until that point, like how we were discussing the earlier versions of the theme when it first appears or its first appearance is that it is in that low register. But then you got the panel in this section with you got the pan flutes and the more higher registers of the orchestra kind of coming in so it's kind of mixing in that it's the it's Mufasa's theme but Simba's around as well if you wanted to really read into it oh um, yeah for sure again, like, only if you really wanted to
1: yeah and and after that explosion it kind of then reverts like you said to that higher register as he's talking about the fact that he may not always be there
0: um, yeah. So he I think Mason just, just by says I'm, I'm gonna be a ghost dad soon. <laughs> just, <laughs> just you wait. <laughs> uh, it's
1: good stuff. Um, so yeah, that I, I really, I really love that cue. Um, so after straight after this point, as as we we're just saying, just basically signposting his death, the next thing that happens is his death. Um, so. <laughs> Um, yep, Simba what finds going to play the now? body
0: is like, ah, oh, no, he's going to be my ghost dad now. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I don't want to make light of it. It's actually a really sad scene. And when you watch it as a kid... Oh, no, like, this it's is yeah, absolutely
1: horrifyingly depressing and just really sad. Um, but... Yeah. Before we get to that, um, we'll get to the Stampede scene, which I think is is oh, some shit, of the yeah. best action say. music he has done. Um,
0: ooh, that's, in my opinion. Ooh. Ooh. You're, you're, um, you're counting out all the stuff he did in the 2000s, like Dunkirk. <laughs> <ugh>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Triggered. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, let's have a listen to the Stampede. rising choral chords towards the end there, they they get me every single time. Like they're just so um so beautiful, like so
0: so so beautifully mm. crafted. Um
1: an interesting. I will too. say
0: Yeah, it, you are definitely right. It is interesting. I will say hearing it after having not heard it in a long time, I'm like, well, there's a bit of pirates in there, there's a bit of this in there, and I can see that it's literally that. That action cue is the stepping point off from what would essentially become most of his action music. Yeah, um, for, in for the, sure. to come. Well, that so was the,
1: that was going to be my little section of conspiracy theory, conspiracy call was at the end of that first half. He does like a little... And I was like, that just sounds like Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> oh, Hans, you crafty bastard, you... <laughs> Uh, but um, I mean, he uh. copied himself from the future <laughs> that he didn't even know was happening.
0: Um, well, I think what's more likely is he copied himself when he was like, because in a side tangent, especially when it comes to parts of the Caribbean, that film was famously rushed in terms of post production, in terms of the music. Yeah. Because um, it wasn't originally Hans, it was some other composer, but he couldn't compose the music fast enough, so Hans had to come in. And especially when it comes to that kind of like crunch time, I have no doubt he kind of looked back and was like, oh, that cure from The Lion King, I'll just take a bit of that, re edit it a bit, and boom, you have the now iconic Pirates of the Caribbean theme. All right, that's my <laughs> little bit of uh, transgression aside. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do a Pirates of the Caribbean episode. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> we still haven't decided a film for the 2000s, so, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see with that one, but yeah, the Stampede yeah. one. I I really love his cue for that. Um, and I was going to say in in the 2019 version, and I guess for me it's interesting looking at this one. In the 2019 version it's very different in that he tries to use Mufasa's theme while he's battling the crowd before he jumps ah. up, and he uses a very heroic version of it that sounds almost superhero-y and I don't like it at all. Um, uh, and he still uses the majority of the main hits um, in the original one Um, but I just think he didn't need to use the Mufasa theme and he proves it in the original cue like you don't need it there to say this is Mufasa Like, he does it a perfect enough job of displaying the emotions and the grandeur and and the kind of tragedy that's about to happen like the music is telling you he's gonna die before he dies like (laughs) you you're seeing you're seeing a death like... unfold right now <laughs> yeah exactly like oh, if you well. didn't know when he said hey simba i might die one day that he was going to die in the next scene you do know now <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i i just really i really love that I really it's such good such it's good classical I writing i really enjoy it yeah. yeah now we get to the real sad stuff the uh mufasa dies cue which, Or as I, I will call it, the Rise of Ghost Dad. <laughs> the Rise of Ghost Dad. Um, now, I do want to show you something. And maybe I'll show up it to you beforehand. Um, so, one of my favorite classical era pieces of all time by Richard Wagner, um, which is a big influence the on... OG, the OG. You know, the OG leitmotif god. <laughs> it's always Wagner. Um, one of my always. favorite pieces to listen to which is kind of morbid because it is very very sad um is called um it's the prelude to Tristan and Isolde um
0: Tristan and Isolde the that sometimes uses a really famous um example of the light material like Tristan's theme um so this is the prelude to that is it so it's not the actual theme that you're no so
1: and I'm not going to play all of it because, you know, we don't have enough time for that anyway. But um, there's, I, I, I just can't unhear it anymore, but there's a theme that <laughs> plays over Mufasa's um, death and actually comes back um, a couple of times whenever he's thinking about Mufasa's death, which is, again, really smart composing. But there's three notes and it ends in a chord in almost the same way, but with a slightly chord, different chord at the end. So here's uh, Wagner's. So there we go. Keep that in your mind as we move immediately on to uh, Mufasa's theme. That change from major to minor right at the end, I really love as well. But yeah, did you hear the three notes at the start just changing into it into was,
0: chords? Yeah, it was, well, he basically just, I'm not sure whether it was an intentional or not, but it was essentially a copy kind of piece in terms of the style and how it is done, which, look, at this point in time, especially even back then, and even now, more so than ever, everything that you probably think hasn't been done already has been done oh absolutely so, and i mean if you're gonna you know, if you're gonna take
1: from someone and take from the take best from, like that's yeah and but take i from mean the og dude <laughs> if you haven't listened to the prelude uh from tristan under solde or however you say it um definitely Do go it. and go and see it like, go and listen to it even use him uh because it's yeah, 10 it's should. 10 minutes long but it just never quite resolves the way you want to. And I think, I'm not sure if it counts as a requiem, the Tristan um, opera, because it is well, an opera. Well, we'd have
0: to go to the definition of what is a uh, a requiem, like an actual concrete definition. And like if as any good definition has, it has several criteria or notes that, notes I say, haha, music pun, I guess, um, <laughs> yeah. notes and uh, criteria that, Something must hit in order to be that, right? Yeah, I think um,
1: some some for for this, I'm not. I could be completely wrong, Um, but for requiems, from what I've read, there's a fair few composers that just kind of just say their pieces are requiems. Like, I think one of the prerequisites for it being a requiem is it's inherently a religious piece because, um, they were usually played in churches and blah blah blah. But there was people like. I, th- oh, I can't remember who it was, but, um, maybe it was Brahms, but, um, basically composers that weren't religious at all, just saying it was a requ- requiem, even
0: though they weren't religious at all. Yeah. So, I mean, cause that also opens a can of worms, isn't it? Because, all right, religious, I mean, what constitutes religious music? Oh yeah. Because, uh, yeah. you know, probably in, especially in terms of how it's dominated, uh, our world culture and media. We think, you know, Gregorian monks chanting a more Catholic-sized view of religious music. But, of course, there's so many different other religions out there that they probably have their own version of Requiem. But Requiem is inherently a Western thing. Um, yeah. So, look, we can go down a rabbit hole about the whole framework of it. That's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> this podcast is about, you know... The Lion King, and we just looked at the theme of Mufasa's death. Or as I like to call it, the rise of Ghost Dad. The rise of Ghost um, Dad. Um, but yeah, I I love that
1: cue. That there's something about, and, and and Wagner does it a lot in that piece that I was talking about. It's mm. that holding that one note as chords change and add tension underneath it. it. It it I'm not sure what it does to my heart, but every time it hangs on that note. Um, before we get to Mufasa's theme, it just hangs on that high note. I just go, like, my heart breaks. And I'm not yeah. sure, exactly sure how that works um, on a psychological no.
0: level. But No, I, I, I reckon it's because it's that you have this kind of high note, and high notes in and of itself are very unstable, just even from uh, playing it, even on a string Um Perspective to even just how it sounds as opposed to like a low note, and then you have these underlying music behind it that's constantly shifting, which is adding more to that. So, acoustically, we're hearing something that's already really unstable, supplemented by even constant moving things, which is led po- again. I'm just spitballing here, no, yeah, but um, that's my two cents worth in the matter. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, and
1: well, I mean. In, in musical terms, they're called suspended notes, and, and Wagner liked to do that a lot. And and in a way, it's about almost resolving it in a place where you don't expect. Um, and that's something that that um, Requiem's actually do a lot. And I mean, a lot of classical music, really. But I particularly like them in Requiem's because a piece will be mainly minor, mainly sad, and you know, down and stuff like that. But then resolve on this major chord that's happy, and you're kind of like, whoa. Where did that come from? And those unexpected resolutions are part of why I love this score and why I love Requiem's in general. Um, And if I can just point out one more requiem it's the final classical piece I'm going to make everyone listen to, but I think it is one, and everyone probably will know this uh, one, but I think it's important because I think he definitely would have listened to this. Um, But it is by Mozart. Uh, Requiem in D minor So yeah, this one is the D minor one (laughs) I feel like you'd be hard pressed to say that that he didn't listen to that before writing
0: this score. Um, I think that's. I think that particular thing is. I think unequivocally always seen as a song about death. That Requiem in D Minor. It's yeah, about the I mean, Requiems are about death, though. <laughs> yeah, but 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 that but that one Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're talking <laughs> about the that, lac- the Lacrimosa one. Um, yeah, well, I'm talking. Uh, well I always thought when I hear that one I'm just in but that specific one by Mozart. Yeah. When you hear that one, I think the first thing that comes to your mind is like hm, death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um but yeah, no, I definitely think those those three and he probably listened to way more because when you're doing research for a film like this, and I know from experience, like when you're researching on the style of music that you're going to have to do for a film, or, you know, maybe you haven't even done that style of music before, Hans Zimmer hadn't done Like I think, from multiple interviews, he said that he didn't have classical training. He didn't do. He didn't have a working theoretical knowledge of music when he started. So he would have been researching these every single night. He would have dedicated weeks to just listening to this every single day to inhabit his brain. And then he would have deconstructed it. How does this work? And I mean, that's how we all work as musicians. We have a look at other stuff and see how it works so that we can make our own. (laughs)
0: Oh, that's definitely true. Hundred yeah. percent.
1: Um, so let's move on. Uh no more yeah. classical pieces, I promise. I so,
0: mean, I like them and yeah. I know it's old, but there is some merit to them.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um so now we go back to that theme. Uh, I'm, I'm calling it kind of the confrontation theme that, that happened originally when, um, uh, when Simba gets a talking to from future Ghost Dad. But then we get a different version of it and a more cons- ex- expanded version of it when Scar takes over Pride Rock. And I really, really like this. Very theatrical,
0: Shakespearean music, I think.
1: Very mm, tragedy. Definitely.
0: It, it actually kind of sounds like the kind of stuff that he mm-hmm. would probably go on to write in his later movies, like that you know, I would see in a Jerry Bruckheimer film that Hans used to do quite a bit of. Yeah, The um, kind of po- grandiose, pompous theatricality of it all, which I like. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially,
1: you know, he does develop that theme from earlier as well, so you you almost get a sense of this is the I consequence I thematic development yeah um, but yeah it's almost a, this is a consequence of that earlier discussion that he and Simba had although you know even though it really isn't Simba's fault now he thinks that this is his fault you know no no
0: it's his fault 100% <laughs> uh, he just wanted his ghost dead yep yeah um, did. Scar
1: did nothing wrong <laughs> Scar- Let's not get into that. <laughs> Especially with the Nazi <laughs>
0: allegories in this movie. Uh, thankfully, that the remake kind of just removes altogether. Yeah,
1: look, I, I really like Be Prepared, and I but I understand why they kind of... I don't think they need to butcher it that much, as much as they did. It's but, basically spoken word poetry. Oh, absolutely. But I knew that they couldn't do a line of hyenas saluting
0: Scar. I mean... <laughs> I mean they could they just would have get wrecked for it I guess. Oh, uh, that's so funny every time every
1: time I see that part of the movie it's just so funny to me. <laughs> just standing there like marching. Uh
0: probably in the 90s everyone was like what the
1: fuck. Well yeah, I mean I mean it's on purpose. They're trying to yeah. evoke that. Um kind of like
0: mean, how the Force Awakens did in the in you know, yeah, in the Force Awakens. Oh dude. yeah, absolutely it's yeah. Tr- they straight up salute. No one give a shit about that. Yeah, uh,
1: we could get into well, the I mixed messaging the... of the Lion King and other movies, but let's let's not because <laughs> yeah, there's right. some weird we're, we're ideologies getting... going on in in the Lion King anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, cool. So this is the second half of that cue um, after that big explosion of theatricality, um, and then we get a callback to the earlier scene of Rafiki drawing. Um, oh, sorry, Simba. Um, then we get a callback to that with a kind of really fragile version of Simba's theme as he like rubs out his drawing. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's quite sad. So yeah, we get we get it. We get a little bit more. <laughs> <Yeah>. So tragic. <laughs> <laughs> Again, not really that much thematic development, but I think what he does is he changes the orchestration, he changes the instrumentation yeah. to give that emotional change, and I think it is
0: effective. Um, I think that's a it's an interesting, uh, and it's another good tool in a composer's arsenal is that. Okay, if there's no need to thematically develop it, then change how it's played, change how it sounds, and that way you can also evoke a different kind of feeling, but still have the association kept the same, which again is a very, really smart way to do it, I think.
1: Yeah, so, and I mean, we're going to get to some, I promise you, some thematic development now. Now, we're going to actually have some here, and, and, and kind of launching off what you just said then, he does the same thing here. This is when they're un- underneath the stars, um, and Simba's theme plays, and it's all very idyllic. He's he's using a different kind of, I think, synth instrument. He's talking about wanting to meet his ghost dad. He's talking about the kings of the past, actually, Zim. All right, so ghost relatives then. Yeah, ghost relatives. Uh, but yeah, let's have a listen to that. And and wh- listen for it to morph into Mephasis' theme. And you kind of hear it before it fully plays, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah, so he he, you know he's almost dabbling in um, like thematic development and kind of blurring the lines between um, Simba's theme and Mufasa's theme as he I guess kind of converges on the same path
0: in a way. Oh yeah, definitely. I will say, however, the start of that cue just reminds me of like a a Microsoft Windows software kind of boot (laughs) up sound. Um,
1: (laughs) That's pretty good. That's not.
0: Know it's not what the legacy of this theme should be because it does, it kind of then transforms off in this kind of almost um, synth like reminiscing, you know, when sometimes synths are really powerful for that kind of long, drawn out kind of things that an orchestra can't do, but really just kind of let that emotion linger and then being supported by the full weight of the orchestra as it builds and builds, yeah. Which I thought sure. was, um, but again, I have to. I I haven't seen those films in a while. I mean I I just saw it recently and again I feel like I still need to rewatch it. Not the new one though. Not <laughs> yeah. not the new one.
1: Well let's let's talk about it in a sec. I I wanna play one more cue because there was a lot of music and there's a lot more music that I could play. Um in fact there are st- But
0: if we were to uh, Yeah, there's yeah, like ten more
1: cues keep- that I have lined up that I, I kinda on the fly have been going, Yeah, let's maybe skip that because we're you know we love this score so much that we're like talking so much about all of it, which is great. Um, and I love it. Um, but let's, but the, the more we talk about it, the more editing. You'll have to do. <laughs> oh, hopefully not. But, um, so, you know, I just want to include some little thematic developments and, and throughout the rest of the film, there's little moments that, you know, um, if you want to, by the way, uh, listen to this score properly, they released it as the Legacy Collection, The Lion King. It's on Spotify. I, I bought the album as well, um, which has some pretty cool artwork and stuff like that. So go and listen to that as well, because it, it's really fascinating listening to all the individual cues. I'm pretty sure it's all I've been listening to for the last week. Um, but yeah, there's little bits where the characters are talking where you can definitely hear a Disney, a, almost a Disneyfied um, Hans Zimmer, where he switches tones jarringly to another character. Um, we, you know, in in a good way, like he does it really well. Um, in a normal movie, it probably wouldn't work, uh, but but in a Disney movie, but it in does a work. Disney movie, yeah. yeah. So let's skip forward to ultimately where Simba's. Simba's theme has been leading all this time. Um, Again, it doesn't really change that much note-wise, but uh, orchestration-wise, it definitely changes. And this is when he's walking up Pride Rock and it's the final thing we see in the movie. And then we also get a little bit of the... um, By the way, the African folk song that I said earlier has a name. It's called um, Busa. I think I'm saying that right. B-U-S-A. Um so yeah, we get a little about that that at the end as well. So let's have a listen to that. And then right. we will trash talk 2019
0: the <laughs> <laughs>
1: So yeah, we get a nice little celebration moment after that when he's roaring and everything as well. Um, but I really like because that culmination you, of that theme. Um,
0: I think it you really. You don't like it? Sorry. You, did you like? Sorry, did you say you like it or you don't like no,
1: it? No, I I like it. I really like the culmination right. of everything right there and how how powerful everything is. Um, and then the slow motion walk in the rain. It's all very picturesque. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um I do think that it's the it's the climactic kind of moment in the film it is where everything kind of happened the resolution and everything and so the and it's also Simba's ascension to the throne after Ghost Dad vacated it for reasons <laughs> unknown um but so and that is why it now must become a more regal theme right and yeah. it's playing as it's as he's literally like ascending to something well, not something he's descending to the where he roars, but he's also walking up on an incline. Look, there's lots of layers in this thing. It's mind blowing. <laughs> this is a deep movie. Um So deep.
1: Yeah. So deep. But yeah, no, I, I, I really like where he's where he's taken that. Um and it's and it's funny, like we say, Oh, there's no thematic development, but the amount of use he got out of so little themes is amazing. Like the way he was able to keep it interesting while essentially keeping the same notes the entire movie like it's almost commendable
0: (laughs) i think that that is a testament to a good composer that you are economical as well and efficient with your stuff Mm. like i suppose it is cool if you have like 10 million themes for each individual person upsetting but (laughs) can you imagine how yeah, well like okay, John Williams John Williams is probably the master of doing it, but like if you take a look at like Lord of the Rings, right? You probably could have had a theme for Frodo, a theme for Sam, a theme for like the point is you could have a theme for every character, but instead he was like just a Hobbit's theme. Yeah. Just a theme for that, right? And it still works. Like Lord of the Rings is probably one of the most celebrated film scores of all time behind Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh
1: so you know, the Lion King is great, uh, and then they had to go and ruin the 1994 it. 1994 <laughs> light. Yeah, <laughs> they had to go and ruin it in 2019. Look, I, I just want to say quickly up top that it's not, it's not that bad, and there's things about that I well that I really
0: like. But the reason it's not bad it is because it is inherently a shot for shot remake of a beloved film and doesn't really change anything or remove anything from the original. Yeah. So they already had a, a good story
1: there. Yeah, so. but the, the things they did add were just unnecessary and just bloated the film. Like, I remember at a certain point I was watching it and in the original, if I was watching it, it'd be 20 minutes to go at the point in the story they were. In the film yeah. that I was watching, there was 50 minutes to go.
0: And I was just like... <laughs> What? <laughs> where, where is all I this remember, time I remember, coming from? I remember looking at the runtime and I was just thinking to myself, the original was one and a half hours. Did you need it to be two hours? Yeah. Did this film really need two hours? Yeah, It, it and it doesn't. Um,
1: Music-wise, which is the thing we, I guess we should oh focus boy. on. But I yeah. guess I, I do want to point out what, what I like about it up top. I do think... I do think the original had its problems with, um, you know, I guess appropriating African culture without really having that many African influences on the film, except for Lebo M, who wasn't credited. So (laughs) I don't think that that film is perfect by any stretch. Um, And I definitely love what the cast they got for the new one. I definitely love... um, that Lieber and was properly credited, and how how the, the diverse set of players that they got to help them with this. Um, in saying that, the music just isn't as good, and I'm not sure what it is, um, because the funny thing is, the original has, I think half of the instruments are fake, right? Right, like the you know
0: it's yeah. an orchestra. I think it- um, He's even said in this one he was able to get more musicians in the room to play it all live. Or, so basically, do not lie, but he doesn't need to use a computer. So, yeah, for sure. Um, and yet, it's just... Uh,
1: yeah, I'm not sure what it is. I think it's just small little changes that he probably made, thinking, you know, and obviously to him, that was the right choice. I'm not saying I know better than him at all. But if I could just point to, like, the Stampede, for instance, like... In in a film, the original film where Mufasa's theme is already on the verge of being overused, he decides to put Mufasa's theme in almost every single theme, every single scene he can, including the stampede, which it
0: doesn't just it just doesn't really fit, and it seems there's like... even that bit at the beginning of the film yeah. when. Mufasa's talking to Scar. And literally, it's the quickest statement ever of that <laughs> yeah. theme. Just, and I'm just like, why, dude? Yeah, why?
1: That that entire scene, aside from Scar's theme, um, that you can't really hear anyway, in the original is completely silent. I don't think you needed any score
0: there, to be honest. You did not. You definitely did not need music. If anything, the lack of music made it all the more intense yeah. and more ominous. But here, as soon as Mufasa comes and he's like, "Ah." Oh, Crank that Mufasa theme up. He's like Scar, (laughs) (laughs) and it's got and it's that hero shot where the sun is hitting Mufasa from the behind. It's like oh, and the theme is like a triumph, like da 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 da, and then it like almost fizzles out because the film then cuts to like a wide shot of them talking, and the music like ah no, we can't, this can't last for that long. Cut it out, cut it out, you know. Mind you, yeah. if this if this score had
1: been released without the original, it would be still probably one of my favourite scores ever. Oh, yeah. Like, the sure. music is still great. I just think some of the additions aren't that good. I mean, what he added for Scar definitely works. But you can tell even in in the cues that he has added for this film, you can tell there's just a lot of modern Zimmer there that wasn't there before. <laughs> There's a lot of these atmospheric yeah. tracks that don't really have any thematic need. Um and that's not a bad thing, but I think it it tonally clashes with what he did before. <laughs> like
0: it, you know. I, I I do agree, and I think that the Lion King and his stuff in the 90s is a relic of what Zimmer used to do, which which write very melodic melodies which he has Right until now, has not done as well. Or if he has done it, he hasn't done it in the frequency yeah. of his younger self. I say this, however, knowing in my head that he essentially wrote Wonder Woman's theme. And that is probably a really... That, that, no, not probably. That is a kick-ass melody. Yeah. Um,
1: but again, um, but, thematic thematic development isn't his strong suit either. Like it, was no, just it like, definitely isn't. It was just like, here's a kick-ass electric guitar riff. All right, there's nothing else that you could possibly do with that, and I don't think they even used it in the film because I'm,
0: I'm betting the composer looked at that and said, "What do they?" Oh, cool. that's actually a funny thing. Dave, act- um, Harry Gregson Williams, I think it's Rupert Gregson Williams who did One Woman, actually in the beginning of the film, reverse engineers the theme and the chords to its bare minimum, and then develops it into the theme we get. So, and Rupert Gregson Williams. Is one of Hans Zimmer's protégés in um, the company that they work for, Remote Control Productions? Yeah. So his own (laughs) protégés can do the thematic development.
1: (laughs) I have no doubt that the composers working for Hans Zimmer are probably more talented than him, Um, (laughs) because and and but that that has that's not necessarily an insult. That's just saying that he knows who to work with and he knows how to develop other
0: composers. Like that's true. You
1: know. I actually think that's a plus for him.
0: Um, and I think his his biggest plus is his collaborative nature. Yeah, for um, sure. The nature of classical film composers and even classical music, it is all based on a composer that you know, right? Like it's Mozart's Requiem or it's Brahms' Symphony or so on and so forth. And it's John Williams's music. It's Hans Zimmer's music or James Newton Howard's music. But if you look at other fields in the music, like for example, hip hop, or even rap or anything like that, everything's very collaborative mm. um, in that aspect. You get a lot of tracks where a lot of pe- um, artists work together. Yeah. And Hans is probably one of the few that actually does that within the film music industry. Right? He did it for The Dark Knight and Batman Begins with James Newton Howard. He pretty he much does on it on every single film.
1: Like He pretty, pretty much. much works yeah. with you know a lot of other people. And that's not to his detriment. Like He's doing it because he knows that he'll be... Like the music will be better, which I think is a good thing.
0: Yeah, he knows that he's no John Williams. He can't orchestrate because he doesn't have the training. He's, he can't do an orchestration or anything. But he surrounds himself with good, brilliant, talented musicians. Yeah, um, and, and I don't and that's know why he. Sorry. <laughs> that, sorry, and that's why he went with Lebo M, and even the first Lion King. Why he wasn't credited? For the love of God, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but. Um you know and it shows the Lion King is one of the greatest scores and definitely in Disney's history and of all time pretty much definitely in the 90s for sure um so and this was then the 90s where we got Duel of the Fates yeah for right? sure and Lion King is still pretty it's, it's up there it's like Lion King is a banger yeah <laughs> in it's, terms it's pretty of score
1: it's pretty good i don't know if you've seen Hans Zimmer's masterclass thing it's 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 it's, it's not heaps worth it i got it as a gift but um He kind in it. He kind of, you know, you kind of get to know why he is as famous as he is in the film scoring industry, and why directors love him, and it's because he just knows story really well, and he knows how to talk to directors. So, you know, as a composer, you can worry about whether you know all the theory or whether you know how to craft a melody or whatever. Obviously, melody is pretty important, but like you know, you can not know the theory. You could not really know how to do that much. But if you know how to talk to a director and you know how a story works, then you're pretty much set because you can do whatever yeah. else you need
0: in the computer. <laughs> like, Because the director is not going to come to you and talk to you on a music level unless yeah. they're really knowledgeable about the music. Now, they're coming to talk to you from a behind-the-scenes, behind-the-camera perspective where they're like, this is the feeling I want to evoke. And you have, for lack of a better term, you have to speak their language. You have to market yourself to them, and to talk to them about, oh, we can do this chord and we'll go here. It'll it'll just glaze right over them.
2: Yeah.
1: So what a marathon, Zim. This is definitely a bit longer than we expected. But lo- to be honest, yes, if we if we think about it, Rain Man. I mean. I'm sure it's not everybody's yeah. favorite movie, but we weren't exactly that excited, but we we're excited from a perspective of seeing where Hans Zimmer came from. But then, yeah, yeah just the and chance to Rain talk Man-
0: about one of my favorite scores, I'm going to talk about it a lot. <laughs> That's true. And comparatively, Rain Man has, does not have a lot of musical score. Yeah, Lion sure. King does. Yeah. So there was a lot more to talk about. For sure. Um. But yes, it this has been quite the odyssey of a journey. We've talked yeah. a lot about Hans Zimmer, Ghost Dads. Ghost Um, Dads. Brief appearance of Um, Conspiracy
1: Corner.
0: Yep. Brief tangent. Lots of tangents, really. Um, That's that's just how we do things, really. Yeah. In the sound of scoring. Now, we are going to take a bit of a break from the Zimmer retrospective. We'll come back to it, but it gives you guys enough time to kind of send us your preferred picks for whatever film of Hans Zimmer you wanted to do in the 2000s. Please. Please. Please, otherwise <laughs> we're literally hitting our head against the wall because we don't want to do the Dark Knight or Gladiator or Inception since they've been done to death. I know that's ironic because I'm pretty sure the Lion King has been done to death as well. But it's our podcast, so whatever. <laughs> um, look, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy episode. to
1: do it. Do a popular one if enough people want it. But um... yep.
0: if, if if you know if give we we will. We will if it need to give the people what they want, we'll do it. Yeah. You know, will we be happy about it? You can find out when you listen to it and see what our general <laughs> demeanor is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I digress. We will be having an episode in two weeks time, right? Yeah. yeah we, we do this every Ish. two weeks. Yep. And it will be about Black Panther, where we will be dissecting Ludwig Gordansson's score mm-hmm. to the Marvel film, becoming the first superhero film and the first Marvel film to win the Academy Award for Best Original Score it's quite exciting Mm -hmm. and of course take a look at the legacy of the film and its impact of the actors and particularly particularly excuse me of its late leading man Chadwick Boseman who was tragically passed away it still it still stings I'm not gonna lie still
1: yeah it definitely got caught me off guard I think oh yeah I mean I I I didn't know I didn't know him personally obviously but um
0: no yeah but I would have been an honour just to have known him personally yeah absolutely (laughs) um
1: Yeah, so I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, We will let you go here. But, uh, Zim, uh, thank you for being here.
0: Always. Mikey G or Michael. (laughs) Um,
1: It's going to catch on. It's going to catch on. It's going to, hopefully. Um, But, yeah, no, this has been a bunch of fun. Um, We'll be back uh, for the next episode of Black Panther, as you said. I hope you have a good... Uh, day, night, week, whenever you listen to this, pause it. You should definitely just pause it. Keep going. You know, you don't have to yeah. s- sit and listen to this in one sitting. Or just put <laughs> it in the background. You know, do yeah. something more Sleep to it. Just, <laughs> just, just fall asleep just just to our sultry voices, tones.
0: <laughs> yep you know. And uh, in case we don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Is a Truman Show sure reference? <laughs>
1: stealing other people's catchphrases. alright Yeah.
0: Why not? Bye. All right, bye.